0: Well, good evening and welcome to Hockey Talk on 91.3 FM Blue Water Radio and of course across the province with our friends on Eastlink TV. I'm Steve Simmons, along with Paul Hillier and Andy Clark in the studio in lovely downtown Haneron, Ontario where it's uh, raining and not very nice rain at the moment. But uh, I'll tell you, we got a great show lined up tonight. We're going to talk about hockey books a little bit later on and some recommendations. But first, we're going to start with a, a very prolific hockey author and uh, that is Kevin Shea. He's written uh, a ton of books and we're we're going to talk about a bunch of them, and he has a new buck out right now, so we'll welcome him on. Good evening, Kevin. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We're great. Excellent.
1: We're fantastic. Yeah, and for our, our longtime uh, listeners and uh, viewers, uh, you might remember uh, Kevin was on our show last year, but he was speaking to us from the Rogers Center because the Blue Jays were in a playoff game. Oh, yes, and, it was, it was quite entertaining to, to hear his running uh, account of some of the characters that were finding the the area he was hanging out in at the Rogers Centre. So how are you keeping there, find, Kevin?
2: Trying to find a little niche where I could speak without being interrupted, and it was tough, but <laughs> nevertheless, we got it done. Yeah, I'm doing fine. Thank you. How are you guys doing?
0: Really good. We're great, and we're excited to talk about, uh, I mean, you have a treasure trove of books that uh, people might want to pick up for Christmas gifts. It's that uh, season, and I know you have a new book out as well. But uh, why don't we start, um, I mean, the the interesting book that, uh, when I look at this list of books, I mean, a lot a lot of people follow the Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, one of your recent books was the Toronto Maple Leafs Hockey Club Official Centennial Publication. Um, so, you know, celebrating their 100 years, and Andy's holding it up in the studio here. Um Tell us about uh, that project and what it was like to uh, to delve into the history and and just uh, your overall thoughts on it.
2: Wow, well, the, one of the uh, the highlights of my personal life and my professional life it was the publishing of that book. You know, it actually started off, the Genesis was one of those things where I was just doing the math. You know, I'd written a fair bit about the Leafs through the years, and I sit on the Toronto Maple Leaf Historical Committee, and so there's a number of ties that I've got to the Leafs. I started doing the math and realized, wait a minute, guys, the 100th anniversary is coming up uh, of the franchise, not necessarily the Maple Leafs proper, but I better, you know, if if anybody's going to write this book, I want to be the guy, and I'm going to have to start pitching it right away. So this goes back i would bet six years thereabouts anyway and uh so I, I put together my my prospectus and my little bio and a sample chapter and i started sending it off to publishers and i was intrigued because i got a number of people calling back or writing back saying they would uh, would very much be interested in the book but only if it was the official book that the fact was there would be a lot of books out around the centennial of the toronto maple leafs but to have the centennial book the official centennial book with the maple leafs involved was the coup so i realized very quickly that i needed to to make that uh, connection and make it immediately before everybody else and his brother did the same thing so i contacted the toronto maple leafs Uh, i had uh, a publisher who was especially fond of uh, the maple leafs as well i would worked with them in the past And so, in tandem, we approached Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment and pitched the idea of a book. Now, whether they had been thinking about the Centennial already, I don't know. My guess is maybe not. It was early. It was early. I don't know that it was on their radar, but if it was, it certainly wasn't something that was talked about at that time. But we made the pitch, and there it sat. And sat, but I realized that if I was going to be the guy who's going to write the book, I better start working right now because if if it starts to happen, and I get the uh, the green light, then I better be prepared because you know there's a, a huge amount of work that needs to be done in order to do it. So I started working on it. I brought in a partner, a guy named Jason Wilson, who I'd worked with on a previous book before, where I thought Jason could really add some value, and he certainly did, was, was talking about, you know, as I wrote different eras of the Toronto Maple Leafs history, he would talk about what was happening in the city or in the country or even in the world at that particular time as well. So we started working, and I wasn't getting answers, and I was starting to get a little nervous, and I thought, well, you know, at the very least, I'll have the book if I need to. And then out of nowhere, one day, about a year later, ironically, I I got uh, two calls. One was from a gentleman named Mike Ferryman with Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment. The other one shortly thereafter was with, with Brendan Shanahan. And both said, you know, if, if anybody's going to write this history, it's got to be Kevin Shea. And uh, you know so much about the history and have written so much about it. You're our guy. So I was super flattered and super enthusiastic and with the publisher in tandem, we made our way. Let me just finish it off if you don't mind. The reason that it took so long wasn't because they were trying to figure out whether I was the right guy or not. It turns out that the publisher had a series of books with the Toronto Maple Leafs that he had pitched. And um, and so it wasn't necessarily just this centennial book, but it was a, a book about all of the honored members from the Toronto Maple Leafs. There was a kids' book involved. There was uh, an encyclopedia involved. So that's what was taking so long and they had to do clearances with the NHL as well and it was a large contract it wasn't just the one book in fact I believe there were seven books that were involved so that's the story I, th- I thought I could keep it short and here I've gone <laughs> on and on your show's almost over now, <laughs> but, the, uh, but, but in fact that was the story of the genesis of the uh, the centennial book for Maple, the Toronto Maple Leaf Hockey Club so,
1: so a similar project that you worked on around the, uh, around the same time I believe is you've done a 50 year history of the Pittsburgh Penguins so how did, how did that project come about?
2: Well, so that's an interesting story, too, and, and I promise I'll keep it shorter. <laughs> uh, so the, Toronto, the Toronto Maple Leaf book came out about a year ago this time. And uh, and so you know, different people pick it up, and we were getting a nice buzz. It entered on the, the bestseller list here in Canada as well. And, uh, and And so the Hockey Hall of Fame got a call from the Pittsburgh Penguins Hockey Club saying, hey, we've seen this book, and we really like it. We would love to do. It's our 50th anniversary, and we're behind the eight ball already because you know we have some uh, some smaller things involved. But we'd like to do a book too. Can we can we marry Shay and the Hockey Hall of Fame together? And that's exactly what happened. So so, they, but the timeline was really really short. I had to to put together a book in two months' time. Wow. Was it two months? Maybe three months. No, it was two months' time. I had to do it, and I was taking off for the World Junior Championships, World Junior Hockey Championships. Why they chose me to be the liaison with the Russian Hockey Club, I'll never know but that <laughs> was so I was leaving for for the World Juniors mid-December so I had to do this book from mid-October to mid-December and uh, with the Hockey Hall of Fame's uh, you know, permission as well but they were going to be involved, some of the proceeds were going to go to the Hockey Hall of Fame as well and so that's the way it went so I just wrote my behind off and you know the Pittsburgh Club wasn't nearly as close to me as the Toronto Maple Leaf Hockey Club but fortunately the, the history is out there and, and I was able to work with, uh, with their PR department and do a lot of research very quickly as well and so we put that book out. Now the nice thing about it was that the the book was for their season ticket holders and was going to be sold strictly in the Pittsburgh area as well. So, not that that was a good thing necessarily. I would love to have had it uh, much more widely distributed, but there were specific reasons for it, and it was going to be sold by the Hockey Hall of Fame as well. So, so it was uh, it was a quick book, but one that I'm very proud of as well. Uh, the same sort of size, uh, a coffee table type book, and you know, with the Stanley Cups. And and the ups and downs of that franchise is a pretty interesting read as well. So it came because of the Maple Leafs
3: book. And now, obviously, you're definitely a a big hockey fan, but what was your inspiration back in the beginning when you started writing books mostly about hockey to to get into that kind of thing, and and what made you the author you are today?
2: Oh, God, there's always a story, isn't there? (laughs) 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 Always. Always. So I worked in the music industry for a number of years, number of years, and two of my best friends, still my best friends, and I get together, oh, you know, at the time it was probably uh, monthly, but uh, but now we do it four times a year, we all have wives and families, and and on we go. Anyway, it was a a Christmas get-together with my best pals, and this would have gone back to... 1998, I think it was. Might have been 99. I'll have to figure out the math as I'm driving here. Um, so we get together for Christmas and we exchange gifts. And uh, so I, you know, I gave my gifts to my buddies, uh, Steve Waxman and Kim Cook, and they said, Well, we've got something for you, but we've collaborated on our gift for you, Kevin. And they pulled this great big box out. They're in a restaurant, this great big box, and they pulled it out and said, Here you go, Merry Christmas. And, well, to get any gift and have these great friends. I open the box, and it's wacky. It's got pens and paper and computer paper, and this kind of defines the time, but uh, but um, I was going to say sloppy disks. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't quite like that. Uh, floppy disks is what I'm trying to say, and and all kinds <laughs> of things like that, and then a book that said writing for dummies. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But listen, Kevin, we've uh, we've heard your stories, your hockey stories, sitting around the table for so many years. You're writing a book this year, and I said, guys, I'm not an author. You know, I write I write bios for bands. I've written a few magazine articles, blah blah blah. They said you're writing a book, and I thought about it. And I thought, well, well, you know, they've given me the impetus. Why not? So, I did exactly that. I uh, I started to write a sample chapter and. I'm, I'm, am I listening to you here? No. This, no, you're good. We're a sample chapter and a prospectus as well. And and I sent it off to all the publishers that I could find at the time. And I got rejection after rejection after rejection. And finally, one guy contacted me. Funny enough, the same guy who took the Toronto Maple Leaf Centennial book. And he said, listen, we, we love your passion. We love your writing. But we don't want the book that you're proposing. We've got a book for you that we think would be great. They would already contracted a book for a guy named Tom Smythe, who was the grandson of Con Smythe, who was the owner of the Maple Leafs for a number of years, and also the son of Stafford Smythe, who owned the Leafs with Harold Ballard in the 1970s. Well, we had a, a, a lunch, and Tom gave me the double thumbs up, saying, yep, he's our guy. And they said, can you write a book in a month? And I said, yeah, of course. <laughs> he had no idea. No idea that you couldn't write a book in a month. I was also working for a record company full-time at the time. So I worked, as soon as I got home from work every night, I worked until I couldn't keep my eyes open anymore. And sometimes that'd be 11 o'clock and sometimes it'd be 4 in the morning. I wrote the story about the Smythe family and the Toronto Maple Leafs and submitted it. Here's the even wackier part was it gets published in October of uh, 2000 ends my first book and I'm so proud of it. and they sent me a courier copy and I, I just can't believe how how amazing it is to have my name on the front cover of a book with the Smythe name and I was also able to get Wayne Gretzky to write the foreword so there's the Smythe name, Gretzky name and Shay, which one doesn't belong but anyway <laughs> um, and I'm reading it and I'm crying but they are tears of joy I am finding typo after typo Uh-oh. Uh-oh. and I'm so anal, so anal I knew that I had not, in fact, done them myself. I went back to the original submissions and, and realized that no, I was right. But I'm going through and find out that you know Tom's my best friend is a guy named Doug, but in the book it's Dog, D O G. And the J P Bickle Award for the most valuable person involved with the franchise. All through the book became the J P Pickle Award, etc., etc., etc. Rather, so I am mortified. Well. The reviews came out and everybody said, hey, it's a great story. Too bad the guy can't write or too bad the guy didn't have an editor. Well, it turned out that the, the timelines were so short. The reason was, first of all, that they were had already gone through three or four authors who had started the book and then found it too difficult working with Tom Smythe, who was just a dear, dear man, but he had uh, he'd had... Um, Cancer, a facial cancer that made him terribly disfigured, and and uh, it was and he works very meticulously and very slowly, just because he doesn't have the capacity to work any any more quickly. He, uh, he, since passed away, but they found it too difficult to work with Tommy and, and with the publisher, so they dropped out of the project. So they were looking for anybody who could put two words together. I just happened to have my resume there at the time. So I got really lucky. The book sold a ton of copies, and even though it uh, it got those terrible, not terrible reviews, but those reviews about it, uh, and the reason why I should also tell you is that they didn't have time to run it through an editor, an actual editor. They ran it through spell check. Um, oh my. Oh my God, and they, <laughs> yeah, and they accepted the uh, the stories or the uh, the words like that without reviewing them. So anyway, that was the start, an ignominious start at best, but it was a good start, and uh, and it uh, gave me a, a license to continue on. That publisher uh, signed me up for several more books, and since then I've I've done okay since then, and I'm working on book number seventeen now.
1: Yeah, and in what project's that?
2: It's a new one. It's uh, it's the history of the Hockey Hall of Fame. 2018 will be the 75th anniversary of the Hockey Hall of Fame concept being initiated in 1943, and it'll be 25 years since they moved into the building at Young and Front Streets in downtown Toronto. So the 75th and 25th anniversaries of the Hockey Hall of Fame.
1: And of course... Uh... I've noticed you, uh, your face appearing a few times on uh, some of those features they do. Uh, last year, there was one on Bill Barilko, and uh, you were one of those talking heads uh, <laughs> on, on one of those little uh, vignettes, if, if I could use that word, that, that got aired quite a bit talking about Bill Barilko. And, and I, I don't know if you actually uh, made a, an appearance on camera, but I know recently on uh, the Ron McLean uh, Hometown Hockey They did a thing with uh, uh, our friend from uh, St. Catherine's there, uh, Sanderson, that you had written a biography of. And I kind of figured your fingerprints were maybe behind that vignette also.
2: Funny what happens, guys. You know, you you put a few books out, or you do a few interviews, or whatever it happens to be, and I guess you get into different people's rolodexes. There's a term I haven't used in a long time, but <laughs> you get into their into their files somehow. And so, when they're doing specific stories, quite often, if there's a story about the history of the Toronto Maple Leafs, my name comes up, and whether it be CP24 Television or TSN or the Maple Leafs. Uh, uh,
1: Themselves, you get called, or you get maybe he's in a tunnel or something like that. I know he was—he was still on the on the commute when we uh, made contact with him. There,
0: I'm not sure. Kevin, are you still there? Well, well, that was a shame because I was looking forward to hearing that story. Yeah, yeah, had well, a lot to say. So, well, why don't we take a break and we'll see if we can get Kevin to rejoin us here. Uh, that might be yeah, momentarily, could, and uh, we'll be back with more on Hockey Talk.
1: One that just uh, was published not too long ago was on one of the early Toronto Maple Leaf owners, uh, J.P. Beckel. Tell us a little bit about that character and uh, and how things are going with that book. Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're uh, listening and watching uh, Hockey Talk on 91.3 Blue Water Radio and on East Link, of course. And we're talking to uh, Kevin Shea, who uh, works for the Hockey Hall of Fame and is a prolific hockey writer, uh, blogger, author, and historian. And uh, I'm not sure if he had to make a quick pull into a Tim Hortons there because he's on his <laughs> commute home. But uh, we have him back on the line. And, uh, yeah, I think we were asking about your your, uh, said your current projects on the Hockey Hall of Fame.
2: Right, exactly. So right in the uh, the history of the Hockey Hall of Fame, 75th anniversary of the Hockey Hall of Fame concept being initiated and 25 years since the Hockey Hall of Fame moved into that beautiful old bank building at the corner of and Front in downtown Toronto. So working on that project next, that will come out next June.
1: And uh, one that just uh, was published not too long ago was on one of the early Toronto Maple Leaf owners, uh, J.P. Bickle. Tell us a little bit about that character and, uh, and how things are going with that book.
2: Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, it's not going to be a bestseller, and I, I totally admit that. But sometimes you write bo- Well, I never write books to sell a ton. You hope they do. But, but uh, sometimes you write them because they're important stories to tell. And that's the story of J.P. Bickle. As I've done history, uh, studied history of, of the Toronto Maple Leafs, his name comes up over and over and over again, and I knew almost nothing about him, so I thought I would delve into it. And working on it with Jason Wilson, who I've written with uh, many times in the past, including the Centennial book, we worked on the J.P. Bickle story. So he's an interesting character. He is certainly not a hockey player. But when we talk about the hundred-year history of the hockey of the Toronto Maple Leafs, we're kind of telling a little white lie. To be candid, the Toronto Maple Leafs started in 1927. So in fact, the Maple Leafs franchise is 90 years old. But hockey, uh, NHL hockey in Toronto, has been around since 19. 19- and the person who's been the consistency through the entire hundred years is J. P. Bickel. He owned, uh, he had a piece of the ownership in the Toronto Arena Hockey Club, which started in 1917. He purchased part of the Toronto St. Patrick's Hockey Club, which started in 1919. So that carried on the Arena Hockey Club to the Toronto St. Patrick's. And then when when Conn Smythe was looking to purchase the team and keep it in Toronto, they were going to move to Philadelphia. He had to convince. G. J.P. Bickle to keep his investment in the team and uh, and move it forward into this new team that he was going to purchase. And Bickle did just that, but he also, you know, you have to think about the uh, the era too. It was the depths of the depression. And Bickle knew all of the wealthy men in Toronto and in Canada. He owned a gold mine in Timmins, Ontario at the time. He was also a stockbroker, he was well invested in a ton of great businesses at the time. Um, famous players, movie theaters. I could go on and on with a ton of great uh, great stories about this man, but he was always under the radar. He had investments in all of them. He just each liked to invest in, in Canadian business, and specifically in sports franchises. So, he, uh, he was the person who linked it all together. He tapped his best friends to invest in this new, not new hockey venture, but in keeping their money in the franchise that became the Toronto Maple Leafs. So J.P. Bickle was really important. I wrote a book about a guy named Bill Barocco uh, several years ago. Bill Barocco was a Toronto Maple Leafs hockey player, died in a plane crash in 1951. The only reason that I bring him up is, is Con wife thought the world of, of Bill Barocco was his favorite hockey player at the time. But a week, just a week away from Barocco's death was the death of J.P. Bickle as well. So Conn Smythe was morose beyond belief. Two of his treasured friends, and I'll say that about, about Barocco, but uh, but two of the people that he valued the most in life died within a week of each other. So there's all kinds of things to talk about J.P. Bickle. It's not just a hockey story, though. It's a story about, about investment in Canada, about uh, he was heavily invested Involved in the Second World War, um, he was involved with the Avro Aero uh, airplane manufacturing. I mentioned uh, uh, the famous players already. Art Gallery of Ontario, Sick Kids Hospital. So some of the the landmark franchises in Toronto, specifically, although many of them have have Canadian applications too, have the. Th- of J.P. Bickle on them too so that's why I wrote the book it wasn't that it was going to sell a ton of copies because not many people would know the name but if they delved into Canadian history they certainly would find it and that's the book that's out right now
0: sounds like a great book to put under the Christmas tree for those listeners and uh, viewers uh, tuning in right now that, uh, that that would be an interesting one to read for sure uh, I want to go back, Kevin, yeah, I just want to go back uh, to a book that you wrote uh, a while ago on Larry Robinson, the great defender. I know in talking to uh, Peter DeBoer, the coach of the San Jose Sharks, of course, um, he worked with Larry with San Jose, and Larry was, uh, you know, helping on the defense corps, and Just a quiet, really well-respected hockey mind that, uh, you know, Peter had so many great things to say about uh, just what it was like to to work with him. I just wonder what your experience in, in doing that book about Larry Robinson was like.
2: Absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it. So I was, I was a fan, but I wasn't. He wasn't like he was my favorite player or anything like that. But I was introduced by some mutual friends, and we had, uh, I can't remember if it was—a breakfast or lunch. It doesn't even matter. But sat down and met him. Actually, you know, I flew up to California. That's what it was, and and met him out uh, out there at his home in Los Angeles, just outside of Los Angeles, and sat down and just realized what a salt of the earth, wonderful, wonderful man he was. I knew about his hockey exploits. I didn't know much more about the man at that time, but I realized very quickly that it was a man that I really respected and uh, and wanted to tell his story as well. We hit it off well enough that he trusted me to tell his story too. So, so here was a guy, he was uh, uh, one of the great hockey players, certainly one of the great uh, defensemen in, in Montreal Canadiens history, although he certainly had some great times in Los Angeles too, but um, an honored member in the Hockey Hall of Fame, uh, a guy who played for his country as well, was... Revered anybody you talk to, like Peter DeBoer, who who you ask about uh, about Larry Robinson, and everybody tells you exactly the same story. Uh, quality guy, a classy guy, a great competitor, but also a quiet leader. He wasn't one of those rah rah guys who's going to scream in the dressing room, but he led by example. And when he spoke, you listened. So I enjoyed that book very, very much. We really got to know the man too, and and realized that. Uh, you know, he had some, some great times. He had some tough times when he was in New Jersey. You know, had to, had a nervous breakdown and had to leave the team at that time. But was thought so highly by Lou Lamorello that he brought him back on a couple of occasions as well. And so here he is. He's no longer with uh, with the Sharks. He's now doing some work with Tampa, which is close to where he lives uh, almost year-round now, and uh, where his son and family live as well. And he's doing some consulting work with them. But uh, again, a, a man I respect greatly, and, and just a great a great story, but a great hockey player and a wonderful man. And now I'm lucky enough to call him a friend, too.
1: I uh, have to apologize. I don't have a copy of your uh, Larry Robinson, uh, the, the biography you wrote with him him in studio, but I do have here in front of me, uh, it was one of my favourite books uh, from my childhood, I absolutely loved it, it was called Robinson on Defence, that he uh, co-wrote with Brian McFarlane, and this goes back to when I was a kid, so this was way before the internet, where you could get all sorts of hockey drills and skills and all that, and uh, it was just A wealth of hockey knowledge in this I learned so much as a young hockey player from uh, reading uh, Robinson on defense and I I actually found in a secondhand bookstore in Williamsford Ontario uh, just a few weeks ago I found a copy of Robinson on defense I was like oh god I love that book so much so that's what I'm holding up on camera right now but yeah and of course Larry Robinson was one of my favorite hockey players and uh, a really classy guy all around
2: it was amazing how those books that we read when we were young. I'm I'm a generation older than you guys, but the books that you read when when we all read when we were kids stay with us. I wasn't aware of that book at the time, but when I was doing research for Larry Robinson's book, I, I got to it and I sat with Brian McFarlane and actually got a chance to uh, to listen to the audio tapes that he had that uh, became the the foundation for that book. But just you know, nutrition tips and playing tips and things like that just amazing. Just just amazing to. Uh, to find that. I'm going to step back for one second. One of the books that I read when I was a, a kid was a boy at the Leafs Camp. And it goes back and it was written by a guy named Scott Young. Neil Young's father, musician Neil Young's father. He was a, a sports journalist for the Globe and Mail, among other places. And that's one that I, I stopped under the Christmas tree when I was a young man and not a young man, I was a young boy candidly, and, and uh, read that. And that's one of the things I was always a hockey fan, but I think that took it to a, a whole new level. Being able to read this book and it was fiction. It wasn't nonfiction, but to be able to read it and feel like I was there in the dressing room with, with uh, in training camp with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and it's that kind of stuff that you know started me reading voraciously. I, as a as a young boy, I was, you know, most of my peers didn't read a lot of books, and we find that still common today. But I read like crazy because I wanted to know everything there was to know about hockey, and it was one of those books that I read as a young boy too. So just to to draw the parallel between. Uh, between Larry Robinson's book and and, and uh, the books that I read, it's just amazing. You, you read those books and it fuels your interest in hockey or a specific player for the rest of your life.
3: Now, I guess, uh, let's, I'm going to put you on the spot again now since we're talking about that kind of a thing. and Do you have a, a favorite hockey book that you have read or, or was that the one other than your own of course because <laughs> they're obviously the best ones right yeah.
2: <laughs> well I'm modest enough to not even put those on the list and people say Kevin there's your opportunity no 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 you know um, once you've done all the research and the writing and, and you read them many many times to proofread you need some distance before you read them again very candidly um, certainly the, the book I just mentioned A Boy in the Leaf Camp would be one of them I, I loved Ken Dryden's The Game uh, Love that one very very much geez, you know, there's so many books. I read so many. You you would not believe the number of books. It would be over a thousand hockey books that I have in my... I have two offices now. One strictly is a, as with shelves of books, and the other one where I write, but also uh, the books that I'm using at the current time. So it's crazy the number of books that I have. And to think about the favorites... Boy, oh boy, you are putting me on the spot. But I, as a young boy, I loved Eddie Shack. He was my favorite hockey player. And uh, there was a book written uh, a few years ago him, I didn't love the book necessarily, but it, but it's one that I really looked forward to uh, to reading. Is uh, very quickly again, just because it was was about my favorite player. Just trying to think, boy, oh boy, you have put me on the spot, and I don't have an answer for you. but... <laughs> I could name many of them, and, and tomorrow I would be giving you 10 other titles, and the day after that I'd give you 10 different ones because it changes so much. But, yeah, there's there's such a wealth of hockey books out there. And this year specifically, there are so many amazing hockey books out there, too. I just finished reading Doug Gilmore's autobiography and really, really enjoyed that one, too. So, you know, that's the great thing about uh, about being hockey fans. There's every Every fall there's a great wealth of hockey books to pick up.
3: And then, of course, then which, which of your books that you have already written, do you feel that you have done the best job at? Which one gives you the most pride that you, go, you can look at it and go, you know, I did this.
2: Well, there are two that I'll mention. One is the Centennial book we talked about a little bit earlier, the Toronto Maple Leaf Hockey Club, official Centennial publication. I really, Because I had lots of time to work on it, I was really able to to write at the, I don't know if there is such a thing as the zenith that somebody's writing, but it's, it's among the best writing that I was able to come up with. I was able to really tell the story in the way that I really, really, really wanted to. Sometimes when you've got a year or less or a month, Um, You're able to tell the story and you do the best of your ability, but to be able to go back and polish and repolish, and polish again really gives you that opportunity. So I'm immensely proud of that book. Uh, The chance for me to to write such a a landmark book is amazing. But uh, veering off a tiny bit, it's it's Barilco without a trace. There was a story that I'm, I'm amazingly proud of in a book that I just hold very close to my heart. So I mentioned earlier that I was uh, in, the, in the music industry for a number of years. I worked for a number of companies, but one that I worked for was Universal Music. And, uh, and one of the bands that was on the label at the time was the Tragically Hip, I'd actually worked with them when they were signed to RCA Records, or BMG, I guess it was. Even before that, worked with them briefly there. Uh, They were very briefly on that label, and they signed to uh, MCA Universal. So I worked with them for uh, the Road Apples album and the beginning of, I guess, the tail end of Up to Here, all of the Road Apples album and the beginning of Fully Completely, and got to know the guys quite well and and, uh, go to a number of their concerts, sit with them over dinner, never talked about music. We always, always talked. Talked about hockey, especially with down Downey. So, so when I worked at the Hockey Hall, well, I mean, I still worked at the Hockey Hall of Fame, but when I was there, there was a lady named Ann Klisinich who was working there. She was a volunteer. And uh, and lovely, lovely lady, and she and her husband and son would quite often come. They, the, the boys, the men, didn't necessarily come every week, but Anne always did. She's Bill Barocco's sister. So I was starting to realize that. Wait a minute, there's a there's a common thread here. And uh, we were sitting there one day, and I and I just noted how often the the picture of Bill Barocco scoring the Stanley Cup winning goal in 1951 was requested. It was shot by the Taroski brothers who uh, who were major uh, photographers back during that era. And so I asked a gentleman named Tyler Wolosowicz, who who was in charge of uh, these requests, I said, you know, what are the most requested photos for the Hall of Fame ever? And he mentioned the Bobby Orr shot when he won the Stanley Cup uh, winning goal in 1970 in overtime. And he mentioned the Barocco goal overtime in 1951. And I connected the dots and I thought, wait a minute, i got to tell the Bill Barocco story. Who else is going to write it? I mean, I've got the connection to Bill's sister um, because the Tragically Hip have a song called 50 Mission Cap, mm-hmm. which is all about the Barocco story and brought him to the to an audience that would never have known Bill Barocco. And because I worked at the Hockey Hall of Fame, I thought I'm the guy to do it. And so I was able to, uh, to spend a lot of time... <laughs> This is going to sound wacky, but I was blessed that the uh, the NHL was on strike at the time. So I I go to every Leaf game, or at least every game I can anyway. I'm a season ticket holder. So that took uh, took those games out. So I had a couple extra days per week to write it. Uh, uh, and, and so I really had the time to, to delve into it. I was able to really write it the way that I wanted to write it, talk to a lot of his friends, talk to a lot of people who saw him play or saw that last game. Talk to the tragically hip, and so I'm very proud of that book as well. So, Baroka without a trace and the Toronto Maple Leafs'
1: Centennial publication as well. As a side note, there, uh, when you're talking about sitting around with the tragically hip talking about hockey, uh, if I have my facts uh, correct, there, uh, I believe Harry Sinden is, uh, was Gord Downey's uh, godfather. I, I yes, came across you're absolutely that. absolutely right. Yeah. So, I know in one of their videos, he, he's sporting the Boston Bruins uh, jersey, and that would be part of the connection there, is uh, yeah, Harry Sinden.
2: Um, so sinden was was uh, in kingston he um, he was a playing coach of the Kingston Frontenacs of the Eastern Provincial Hockey League, which was a uh, an affiliate of the Boston Bruins at the time. The league is long gone, and uh, the Frontenacs that that configuration is long gone too. But he was living living in Kingston and also selling real estate at the time. You had to have a, another job because hockey didn't pay enough. And he got to know the Downey family, uh, Edgar Downey, which is Gord Downey's father. Got to be good friends with the family. So when Gord was born. Uh, Harry Sinden was made godfather, and that love of the Boston Bruins, and certainly of Harry Sinden, carried through their life. Mike, Mike Downey, Gord's brother, and uh, and Gord loved the Boston Bruins their entire life and talked about them every single day, They, whether by phone or in person or whatever. So there was a, a great love of hockey and of the Boston Bruins between the Downey boys.
0: Kevin, uh, unfortunately we're just flat out of time, but uh, an incredibly enjoyable chat to talk with you about uh, a lot of great stories that you have about uh, writing your books and and some of the characters you came along and uh, talking with. And uh, uh, good luck with the J.P. Bickle book. Uh, I'm going to buy that book and uh, I'm looking forward to it.
2: Well, I appreciate it. First off, I have to apologize. You've asked me two questions, and I've talked for what
1: another. <laughs> it be our job those, easy. Are, those are the easy <laughs> guys.
2: Well, well, always love to talk hockey and love talking with you guys. You're knowledgeable guys and really appreciate the opportunity. Have a great holiday, guys, and I hope somewhere down the road we'll get the fans to talk again. We, we look forward to it. Thanks, Thanks Kevin. Much.
0: There you go, Kevin. Night, guys. Appreciate it, Kevin. Thank you. Kevin Shea, the yeah. prolific hockey author, and I mean – you know he's got some phenomenal stories. He's he's been with the who's who of hockey and in, in in doing a lot of these books. And uh, you know you have to uh, you know just give your props to uh, some of the amazing stories that he's been able to tell. And as he said, I mean, who else was going to tell the Bill Barocco story? And uh, you know it's become a a part of hockey lore, I would say. Absolutely, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And so it's nice that he was able to document it on behalf of hockey fans everywhere.
1: And, uh, and I'm just going to throw in on yeah. top of that for our, for our audience there, uh, he, he has a website. If you Google Kevin Shea, it'll come up. And not only does it you know, have details about all his books, but he also has a blog on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's written a lot of things for the Toronto Star, especially last year in the centennial season. In particular, uh, one story that's on there uh, that I've read recently was uh, it's called Jack's Box. And it's actually a real, real story of one of his experiences where he found out one of his relatives uh, posthumously found out was a, a member of the the Toronto Maple Leafs and, no way. Yeah, and it's uh, quite an incredible uh, story because he formed this you know, this relative he didn't know he had he ended up forming a fantastic friendship and uh, there's quite an amazing end to this story, so yeah, if you get a chance to check out the blog in Jack's Box, it's a cool story So the
0: website is kevinshayhockey.com for those that would like to go there We'll take another break, we'll be back with chatting about uh, some of the great hockey books uh, when we come back on the other side uh, Andy Clark has emptied his library, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Welcome back to Hockey Talk on 91.3 FM Blue Water Radio and, of course, on Eastlink TV. I'm Steve Fitzsimmons along with Paul Hillier and Andy Clark in the studio. And, guys, what a great chat with Kevin Shea. We just flat ran out of time, to, and we'll have him back on another time, I'm sure, to talk more hockey, but... Uh, Let's talk about hockey books. I mean, we have the Christmas season coming up. Everybody's looking for a recommendation of a book to buy for somebody that loves hockey and uh we have all kinds of them in the studio if you look if you're watching on Eastlink TV. Uh Andy Clark has emptied his library, <laughs> I think. But he's got all kinds in here. We brought a few. But let me start with uh one of some of my favorites and then we'll we'll kind of go around the table here. Um you know, you I noticed you have Stephen Brunts uh Gretzky's Tears in the, in the in the on the table here, but uh for me, I, I love Stephen Brunt. I think he's a phenom- phenomenal author and I've read a ton of his uh hockey books, but for me the best one of his is called Searching for Bobby Orr and uh it basically uh details um the Boston Bruins finding out about Bobby Orr in Perry Sound, Ontario, and the whole story, you know, of him playing for the Oshawa Generals and everything. And, uh, you know, lots of uh, information, of course, about that, but also um, talking to Bobby Orr about it all, all the way through. And uh, he does a phenomenal job of, of weaving that story together. And uh, Kevin had uh, mentioned as well the game by Ken Dryden. I think that's one of the old staples yeah. of uh, that, uh, you know, he... He just explains the game in a a way that no one else maybe did up until that point in time and and has a unique perspective on on how he views the game, you know, of hockey yeah, from a goaltender's perspective. But he's an like, interesting person, and and he just has a different perspective than a lot of people do on things.
1: Yeah, when he uh, leans up on that goal stick or did lean on that goal stick, a lot was going through his mind. And uh, yeah. I was going to say, I, I believe it's actually in the book, The Game, which I have a copy, and I, I, it's not one of the ones that made the cut to come <laughs> into the studio here, which is too bad. But uh uh, the story is at some point someone asked, you know, Kendra, what is the greatest sports team of all time? And his answer, I think, is just brilliant beyond anything. Is he said for any time you take a twelve-year-old or think back to when you were twelve years old and your team. your favorite team when you were twelve? He said that'll always be the greatest franchise of all time. You're right. Like no one on earth would answer the the question that way, but it's like so it's appropriate, it's yeah, very
0: apropos for yeah. sure. Um, Another one that uh, I really enjoyed uh, uh, detailing uh, the story of uh, Theo Fleury and um, his career. And, of course, he went through those sexual abuse things when he was a child. And, playing with fire. Uh, playing, yeah. yeah, playing with fire. Uh, it was, uh, uh, you know, an emotional heart Heart-rendering uh, book to to read, but uh, but I think uh, you know it's something that uh, that you'd enjoy um, hearing his perspective on things, and and uh, you know I, I did I did enjoy reading it, and of course um, you know this one uh, now I'm catching on the my life on and off the air. Of course, uh, it's with Stephen Brunt and Ron McLean by Bob Cole about Bob Cole's broadcasting career, and you know that obviously touches close to home for me being a broadcaster of of hockey myself so uh not of course of anywhere near that stature but i've certainly admired and respected bob cole for a long time and you know him and and chris cuthbert from to me are are the best play-by-play broadcasters of of my era of 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 watching tv since i was a, a kid to now kind of thing so um so those are some of the books that i really enjoy and i would recommend uh Paul, what do you what do you think you like? You know,
3: strangely enough, I mean, for as much as I read, I don't read a lot of hockey books. I mean, of course, I've read the game but yeah. about Ken Dryden and a couple of the others that have been mentioned offhand, but uh, the one the one that I truly enjoyed the most was this one here by Ken Reed called One Night Only. It's a really good book. This is a great book. This book is about all the players that ever only got that one NHL game. And some of the stories of how these people got to where they were is just incredible. I mean, there's a couple that are, you know, you're basic. Got called up for one game. Got called up one game, My back. But there's some other very, you know, very
0: interesting things. And
3: there are some names in this book that you, any, anyone who listens to or watches hockey will know these names. Because, and you'll look read these articles and go, wow, I didn't realize he ever played. Or... I didn't know he only had one NHL game, and I found I could hardly put this book down. It was when a I was great book. It. it was. It was really I, good. I read that book
0: when I was in the Dominican on holidays and, and laying on the beach. It was phenomenal. Uh, of course, you know, when talking about uh, one NHL game, there, there's a story. There's a couple of stories in that book, but two that stick out for me. Of course, Don Cherry is one of the Absolutely. people that only played one NHL game, and that's that's well known. And I think a lot of people are familiar with that. But there's another interesting story, Paul, and you'll remember this one about two brothers that both of them only played one NHL game and uh, it's interesting to read their sort of perspectives on oh, the, each oh. of them only playing the one NHL game So and different games not the same game yeah. but it was it was very interesting so um, just sort of star-crossed that uh, two brothers would only play that one NHL game but, it, but their perspective on it was that hey we got to play one NHL game. Yeah. And, and there, that's yeah.
3: exactly how it is right? You know they were Excited that they got that far, because how many thousand kids, even just in Canada alone, never get that chance?
0: I, I think there was a bit of disappointment for a few of the people that only played one yes. NHL game. But a lot of people were very thankful to have that one Better NHL game experience. So it was quite interesting. I agree with you. It was a good book.
1: To piggyback off a couple of things you just said there. Uh, so not a lot of people realize that Don Cherry only played the one. Mm-hmm. I believe it was a playoff it game. It was only one Boston shift, Bruce. actually. Oh, yeah. yeah, one shift. Um but he also a has a brother, and, and even fewer people realize that Don Cherry actually had a brother called Richard, who went by Dick Cherry, Dick, yeah. that played about 300 games in the NHL for both the Philadelphia Flyers and the Boston Bruins. So most of them are like, "Whoa!" Like he had a brother that played in the NHL too. So,
0: and yeah. Dick actually still is involved with uh, OHL Central Scouting, I believe. Oh, I didn't uh, realize in yeah. that. In a capacity
1: there, I as knew well. he had coached for a while in the, in the Kingston area, but yeah. yeah. Um, And you were talking about how many people don't uh, ever get to play that one single game. And that leads me to one of my big uh, recommendations. It was written by uh, Ken uh, Ken Campbell and Jim Parcells. Ken Campbell of the Hockey News, of Uh, course. Of the Hockey News, yeah. And... Basically, uh, so the full title here is Selling the Dream, How Hockey Parents and Their Kids Are Paying the Price for Our National Obsession. And first of all, the way this book came into my hands, uh, it was actually Keith Primo uh, donated it along with his uh, book, Concussed, to uh, a local charity. So I, I won this in a silent auction here in Hanover. Um, so it came to my hands through Keith Primos, and it really talks about how there's a massive, massive uh, private industry is built up, whether it's private schools, private academies, the private coaching, all of that stuff. And uh, and people are feeling pressured, to, you know, whether it's for equipment or for camps or for, you know, they have their kids playing hockey year-round nonstop, and they feel they have to do that to compete, and it's a real pressure point. And so the book is basically does the math on how many kids actually get NCAA scholarships, how many actually play pro, how many make it to the NHL. And it's not saying that you shouldn't pursue your dreams, but what they're saying is there's families out there that are spending tens of thousands of dollars yearly on the idea that they're going to get it back at the end when their kids turn pro. And they're saying you need to be really, really aware of what the reality is. An interesting flip side in here is, is they, they document quite a few players, like, say, a Glenn Metropolitan. Right. who, for whatever reasons, live way outside those opportunities. Uh, Glenn Metropolit uh, lived in a series of with foster parents, and he played a lot of his first hockey on free outdoor rinks around Scarborough. But for whatever reasons, he didn't you know, have a lot of opportunity to access a lot of hockey. But they made the point that a lot of those players that have that talent make it to the nhl anyways they they bubble up so it's not necessarily crucial that your kids have to go to all the expensive hockey camps or the very expensive academies so just to be aware that if you're spending that money you're doing it for broader reasons than just my kid's going to play in the big league
0: you know andy that you bring up a, a great point and and people locally know i was the president of hanover minor hockey for a long time and i told people like you know, you need time off from the game in the summertime. You need to take a break from the game. And, and there's a lot of people... Here and elsewhere that are are quite obsessive about the game, about a a 365-day-a-year opportunity to get better type of thing. I mean, Bobby Orr will tell you, and I've talked to him, that uh, you need to do something else. Your mind needs a break. Your body needs a break. You need to go play baseball. You need to go play soccer. Just have fun in the summertime. Take a break from it. But uh, here's a number for you guys um, that I was told a number of years ago the statistical um, basis of making the Ontario Hockey League, which is not the National Hockey League, the Ontario Hockey League, is one in every 8,000 players in Ontario. So, you know, we think about as an example, Hanover Minor Hockey has about 300 kids, right? And, you know, the surrounding areas, you know, they they have a fair amount, but you know, think about the nearest 8,000 kids. One of those players will play in the Ontario Hockey League. So, You know, when you think about it in that perspective, you know, let your kids have fun. Mm -hmm. Don't drive them so hard. And I and I said it for years and years. And I've been around Ontario Hockey League players that have become pros, Steve Stamkos and Doughty and all those guys. I know them all, and you know, they had fun with the game and they loved the game. But they also took a step back from the game as well. I mean, Doughty's a well-known soccer player in the summertime, and uh, you know, it's we get. Obsessive parents get obsessive about you know this this thing, and it's really bothered me for a long time actually about some of the people that drive their kids way too hard and and I think in the future the kids are not they're gonna hold it against you for for doing that, and you're gonna somewhat suck the life out of um their enjoyment of the game and so if i If I can just put that out there to parents watching and listening tonight, you know take a step back from it and and let your kids have fun with the game, but also not with the game for a while, you know, during the year. And, and you know, it's, they're going to be better for it. And if you talk to high-level hockey people, they'll tell you the same thing.
1: Yeah, and if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. It'll work out, you know, because they talk about, you know, some kids here that when they were 15 are scoring, you know, 300 goals. And, and then for whatever reasons, two years later, like they don't make it much beyond a few games in the OHL. Like so, but if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And let them be well-rounded human beings. You want them to be good people too, right? So...
0: Absolutely. Um, I want to talk just briefly about another book as well that uh, I read when I was on holidays and loved it. it was uh, It's called Gordie Howe's Son by Mark Howe. And it was a phenomenal tale uh, written by Mark about playing with his dad, being the son of Gordie Howe. You know, his brother, of course, played in the Na- National Hockey League as well, Marty. Uh, and playing on a line with the Houston Arrows. Um, with his dad at 52 years of age or whatever he was. And Mark was whatever, 21 or something. Um, It is an incredible book to read. And uh, if you're a hockey fan, I recommend picking up Gordie Howe's son as well.
1: Nice. And since we're throwing out some picks there, I'm going to get my wife Jeannie's pick in here. Sure. It's a fictional one called Bear Town. It's a more recent book and it's a bestseller. Um, And actually my father-in-law read this and recommended it too. He's a member of the Society for uh, International Hockey Research. And uh, so uh, I think in my wife's words, she said, it definitely is a hockey book. But more so, it's about humanity, and it's a, it's about a rural Canadian town where it's kind of revolves around its junior team and some of the strife that uh, comes out of that, and some of the drama that plays out. They're kind of hanging their hopes on uh, the town's identity, on the team's success as a junior franchise. So,
0: Bear Town, there, if
1: you there want you to give That's that a read. That's another good one.
2: Yeah,
0: and uh, one that you've brought, Andy, and I've read it as well. And of course, he's been a guest on Hockey Talk. Is yeah. of course Ray Scampanello, uh, Between the Lines, uh, Not So Tall Tales from Ray Scamp. Spinello. four decades in the NHL. The forward written by Scotty Bowman and Steve Iserman. And and Scampi's been on here talking a little bit about that uh, as well. And uh, I know Patrick O'Sullivan, of course, has written a book called Breaking Away that he's been a guest on our show as well. Um, And and Paul Wade, of course, uh, you have his book in here as well.
1: Yeah, he has a number of publications. Uh, This is probably my favorite one. Uh, It particularly focuses on the uh, history of uh, Hockey in Bruce County. And this one's been around for quite a while, but if you get a chance to pick that up if you're into local history and such, it's a uh,
0: hockey scrapbook. I know that one is at, at Lasting Memories Locker Room in Hanover, so if you, you want to pick it up there, you can. Um, I noticed another one that you've brought as well is Shift Work by Ty Domi. And, and it was quite yeah. a good book too. I enjoyed it as well. And, uh, you know, uh, it was. it's amazing when you read where Ty Domi came from uh, basically, playing, you know, in his in his hometown to reaching the heights that he ended up reaching, and it's it's incredible yeah. the story in his own words. That'd I really a, enjoyed it. And
1: uh, for a variety out there too. Uh, here's a favorite of uh, my boys. They're six and eight, but it's. Uh, Actually, the lyrics of and Tom Connors, uh, the good old hockey game. Oh, cool. And it's set to, uh, you know, some great pictures there. And here's another cool one, uh, a little more recent acquisition, but it's it's a fictional story of a little kid in Boston who's a Bobby Orr fan. And Number Br-
0: four hobby Bobby Orr, cool.
1: Yeah, and uh, Bobby comes to visit him in the hospital, and it all plays out where he eventually there to see the, the iconic uh, overtime winning goal there. Uh, versus the St. Louis Blues and all that stuff. So it's kind of a cool story if you're looking for something to put under the Christmas tree for kids.
0: I normally have the Rogers insignia, of course, being uh, uh, working for Rogers TV with my hockey stuff. But uh, and we're on Eastlink TV right now. But let me <laughs> throw another network into the mix as well. Uh, James Duffy of TSN wrote a very good hockey book called "The uh, Good." I have it here. The guy on the left and. Uh, uh, I really quite enjoyed uh, a lot of stories that James... James has a bunch of different stories about different people, um, kind of in each chapter type of thing. And uh, it was a very, very good hockey book. And, uh, I mean, he's an excellent broadcaster as well, and it comes through in the book, uh, a phenomenal read.
3: Yeah, it was. I, I can agree with you on that one. This was, this was a really interesting book too. And, and it, he, t- he tells a story from his own perspective sometimes, and, and it's really neat just the way he tells the stories about certain people. Absolutely. Well, guys, uh, we're just flat out of time
0: here, but uh, we have a great guest next week. Trevor Pryor, the host of the Guelph Storm broadcast on Rogers TV, will be along. And he's also uh, a former pro player himself. Uh, He played at Miami Miami of Ohio University in the U.S. on a scholarship. His roommate was a guy named uh, Dan Boyle, who had a pretty good NHL career. A long time with Tampa Bay, of course, finished up with the Rangers there a year or two ago. And uh, a Sutherland Cup winner with the Waterloo Siskins as well. So uh, now he's involved with the Ontario Hockey League. And his uncle, of course, is uh, Dave Pryor, the goaltending coach of the Las Vegas um, of the NHL so uh, he was a long a uh, Washington Capitals goaltender coach as well so yeah. he's got a lot of stories to tell about these variety of things that he's been involved with and he played uh, hockey in a place called Bolzano, Italy huh. so he'll tell you a story about Bolzano next week it should be fun
1: nice and two weeks from now we have uh, Chris Menard in studio oh wow good so also looking forward to that
0: so there you go a couple upcoming great episodes of Hockey Talk we're just out of time for this week but we'll see you next week right back here on Hockey Talk